Chapter Two of Deerbrook. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellie. Deerbrook by Harriet Martineau. Chapter Three: Making Acquaintance. The sisters were not so fatigued with their journey, but that they were early in the open air the next morning. In the shrubbery they met the twins, walking hand in hand, each with a doll in their disengaged arm. "'You are giving your dolls an airing before breakfast?' said Hester, stopping them as they would have passed on. "'Yes, we carry out our dolls now, because we must not run before breakfast. We have made arbors in our own gardens for our own dolls, where they may sit when we are swinging.' I should like to see your arbors and your gardens, said Margaret, looking around her. Will you take me to them? Not now, answered they. We should have to cross the grass, and we must not go upon the grass before breakfast. Where is your swing? I am very fond of swinging. Oh, it is in the orchard there, under that large tree, but you cannot. I see. We cannot get to it now, because we should have to cross the grass. And Margaret began to look around for any place where they might go beyond the gravel walk on which they stood. She moved towards the greenhouse, but found it was never unlocked before breakfast. The summer-house remained, and the most unexceptionable path led to it. The sisters turned that way. "'You cannot go there,' cried the children. "'Miss Young always has the schoolroom before breakfast.' "'We are going to see Miss Young,' explained Hester, smiling at the amazed faces with which the children stared from the end of the path. They were suddenly seen to turn and walk as fast as they could, without its being called running towards the house. They were gone to their mother's dressing-room door to tell her that the Miss Ibbotsons were gone to see Miss Young before breakfast. The path led for some little way under the hedge which separated Mr. Grace from Mr. Rowland's garden. There were voices on the other side, and what was said was perfectly audible. Uneasy at hearing what was not meant for them, Hester and Margaret gave tokens of their presence. The conversation on the other side of the hedge proceeded and in a very short time the sisters were persuaded that they had been mistaken in supposing that what was said was not meant for them. "'My own Matilda,' said a voice, which evidently came from under a lady's bonnet, which moved parallel with Hester's and Margaret's. "'My own Matilda, I would not be so harsh as to prevent your playing where you please before breakfast. Run where you like, my love. I am sorry for little girls who are not allowed to do as they please in the cool of the morning. My children shall never suffer such restriction.' "'Mother!' cried a rough little person. I am going to fish with Uncle Philip today. Sidney Gray and I are going. I don't know how far up the river. On no account, my dear boy. You must not think of such a thing. I should not have a moment's peace while you are away. You would not be back till evening, perhaps, and I should be fancying all day that you were in the river. It is out of the question, my own George. But I must go, mother. Uncle Philip said I might, and Sidney Gray is going. That is only another reason, my dear boy. Your uncle will yield to my wishes, I am sure, as he always does, and if Mrs. Gray allows his son to run such risks, I am sure I should not feel myself justified. You will stay with me, love, won't you? You will stay with your mother, my own boy. George ran roaring away, screaming for Uncle Philip, who was not at hand, however, to plead his cause. My Matilda, resumed the fond mother, you are making yourself a sad figure. You will not be fit to show yourself at breakfast. Do you suppose your papa ever saw such a frog as that? There, look, dripping wet. Bridget, take Miss Matilda and change all her clothes directly. So much for my allowing her to run on the grass while the dew is on. Lose no time, Bridget, lest the child should catch cold. Leave Miss Anne with me. Walk beside me, my Anna. Ah, there is papa. Papa, 
we must find some amusement for george to-day as i cannot think of letting him go out fishing suppose we take the children to spend the morning with their cousins at dingleford to-morrow would suit me better my love replied the husband indeed i don't see how i can go to-day or you either and mr Rowland lowered his voice so as to show that he was aware of his liability to be overheard oh as to that there is no hurry replied the lady aloud if i had nothing else to do i should not make that call to-day any day will do as well as hester and margaret looked at each other they heard the gentleman say softly hush but mrs Rowland went on as audibly as ever there is no reason why i should be in any hurry to call on mrs gray's friends whoever and whatever they may be any day will do for that my dear not having been yet forbidden to run before breakfast hester and margaret fled to the summer-house to avoid hearing any more of the domestic dialogues of the Rowland family what shall we do when that woman calls said hester how will it be possible to speak to her as we should speak to any other indifferent person replied margaret her rudeness is meant for mrs gray not for us for she knows nothing about us and mrs gray will never hear from us what has passed shall we knock in answer to the knock they were requested to enter miss young rose in some confusion when she found her visitors were other than her pupils but she was so lame that hester made her sit down again while they drew seats for themselves they apologized for breaking in upon her with so little ceremony but explained that they were come to be inmates at mr gray's for some months and that they wished to lose no time in making themselves acquainted with every resort of the family of whom they considered themselves a part miss young was evidently pleased to see them she closed the volume and assured them that they were welcome to her apartment for said she everybody calls it my apartment and why should not i do you spend all your time here asked hester almost the whole day i have a lodging in the village but they leave it early these fine mornings and stay here till dark i am so lame as to make it inconvenient to pass over the ground oftener than is necessary and i find it pleasanter to see trees and grass through every window here than to look out into a farrier's yard the only prospect from a lodging the furnace and sparks are pretty enough on a winter's evening especially when one is too ill or too dismal to do anything but watch them but at this season one grows tired of the old horseshoes and cinders and so i sit here to the sisters there seemed a world of desolation in these words they were always mourning for having no brother here was one who appeared to be entirely alone from not knowing exactly what to say margaret opened the book miss young had laid aside it was german schiller's thirty years war every one has something to say about german literature those who do not understand it asking whether it is not very mystical and wild and obscure and those who understand it saying that it is not at all it would be a welcome novelty if the two parties were to set about finding out what it is to be mystical a point which for aught that is known to the generality it is not yet ascertained miss young and her visitors did not enter upon precise definitions this morning these were left for a future occasion meantime it was ascertained that miss young had learned the german language by the aid of dictionary and grammar alone and also that if she should happen to meet any one who wished to enjoy what she was enjoying she should be glad to afford any aid in her power hester was satisfied with thanking her she was old enough to know that learning a new language is a serious undertaking margaret was somewhat younger and ready for any enterprise she thought she saw before her hours of long mornings when she would be glad to escape from the work-table to miss young's companionship and to study the bright field of german literature seemed to open before her to be explored she warmly thanked miss young and accepted her offered assistance 
so you spend all your days alone here said she looking round upon the rather bare walls the matted floor the children's desks and the single shelf which held miss young's books not exactly all day alone replied miss young the children are with me five hours a day and a set of pupils from the village comes to me besides for a spare hour in the afternoon in this way i see a good many little faces every day and some others too i should hope some besides little faces miss young was silent margaret hastened on i suppose most people would say here what it is said everywhere else about the nobleness and privilege of the task of teaching children but i do not envy those who have to do it i am as fond of children as any one but then it is having them out to play on the grass or romping with them in the nursery that i like when it becomes a matter of desks and school-books i had far rather study than teach i believe everybody except perhaps mothers would agree with you said miss young who was now without apology plying her needle indeed then i am very sorry for you thank you but there is no need to be sorry for me do you suppose that one's comfort lies in having a choice of employments my experience leads me to think the contrary i do not think i could be happy said hester to be tied down in an employment i did not like not to a positively disgusting one but i am disposed to think that the greatest number of happy people may be found busy in employments that they have not chosen for themselves and never would have chosen i am afraid these very happy people are haunted by longings to be doing something else yes there is the great trouble they think till experience makes them wiser that if they were only in another set of circumstances if they had only a choice what they would do a chance for the exercise of the powers they are conscious of they would do such things as should be the wonder and the terror of the earth but their powers may be doubted if they do not appear in the conquest of circumstances so you conquer these giddy children when you had rather be conquering german metaphysicians or or what else there is little to conquer in these children said miss young they are very good with me i assure you i have much more to conquer in myself with regard to them it is but little that i can do for them and that little i am apt to despise in the vain desire to do more how more if i had them in a house by myself so that i could educate instead of merely teaching them but here i am doing just what we were talking of just now laying out a pretty-looking field of duty in which there would be probably as many thorns as in any other teaching has its pleasures its great occasional and small daily pleasures though they are not to be compared to the sublime delights of education you must have some of these sublime delights mixed in with the humbler you are in some degree educating these children while teaching them yes but it is more a negative than a positive function a very humble one governesses to children at home can do little more than stand between children and the faults of the people about them i speak quite generally is such an occupation one in which anybody can be happy why not as well as in making pins heads or in nursing sick people or in cutting square blocks out of a chalk pit for thirty years together or in any other occupation which may be ordained to prove to us that happiness lies in the temper and not in the object of their pursuit are they not free and happy pin-makers and sick nurses and chalk-cutters yes but they know how much to expect they have no idea of pin-making in itself being great happiness just so well let the governess learn what to expect set her free from a hankering after happiness in her work and you have a happy governess i thought such a thing was out of the order of nature not quite there have been such though there are strong influences against it the expectations of all parties are unreasonable and those who are too humble or too amiable to be dissatisfied with others are discontented with themselves when the inevitable disappointment comes 
There is a great deal said about the evils of the position of a governess, between the family and the servants, a great deal said that is very true, and always will be true, while governesses have proud hearts like other people. But these slight evils in comparison with the grand one of the common failure of the relation. There, do you hear the bell? What is it? The breakfast bell? Yes, you must go. I would not be understood as inviting you here, for it is not, except upon sufferance, my room, and I have no inducement to offer. But I may just say that you will always be welcome. Always? said Margaret. In and out of school hours? In and out of school hours, unless your presence should chance to turn my pupils' heads. In that case, you will not be offended if I ask you to go away. Mary and Fanny had just reported in the breakfast parlour that the Miss Ibbotsons had been such a time with Miss Young, when Hester and Margaret entered. The testimony there was all in favour of Miss Young. Mr. Gray called her a most estimable young woman, and Mrs. Gray declared that, though she could not agree with all her points, and decidedly thought that she overrated Matilda Rowland's talents, she was convinced that her children enjoyed great advantages under her care. Sophia added that she was very superior, quite learned. Mrs. Gray further explained that, though not so much at ease on the subject of her daughter's education, no one could have any idea of the trouble she had in getting the plan arranged. It had seemed a pity that the Rollins and her children should not learn together. It was such an advantage for children to learn together. But Mrs. Rowland had made a thousand difficulties. After breakfast, she would show her young friends the room which she proposed should be the schoolroom, as errant, advantageous in every way as could be imagined. But Mrs. Rowland had objected that she could not have Matilda and George come out in all weathers, as if they would have to walk a mile, instead of just a sweep of the gravel walk. Mrs. Rowland had proposed that her back parlour should be the schoolroom, but really it was not to be thought of, so small and close, and such a dull room for Miss Young. The gentleman had been obliged to take it up at last. Nobody could ever find out which of them it was that had thought of the summer-house, though she was satisfied in her own mind that Mr. Rowland was not in the habit of having such clever ideas. But, however, it was soon settled. The summer-house was so exactly on the boundary line between the two gardens that really no objection had been left for Mrs. Rowland to make. She came as near to it as she could, however, for she had had the walk covered at a great expense from her garden door to the summer-house, when everybody knew that she did not mind her children getting wet at other times on the grass before the dew was off. And the covered way is quite an eyesore from the drawing-room windows, added Sophia. Quite, said Mrs. Gray, and it can be seen from ours, as I dare say you observed last night, but I have no doubt that entered into her calculations when she made it. Mr. Gray inquired about the arrangements for the morning, and whether he could be of any service. It happened to be a leisure morning with him, and he did not know when he might have another at command. Sophia reminded her father that it would be impossible for the ladies of the family to go out, when they were expecting the neighbors to call, and this brought on another speculation as to who would call, and especially when the Rollins might be looked for. Hester and Margaret believed they could have settled the matter, but they forbore to speak of what they had overheard. They began to wonder whether the subject of Mrs. Rowland was to be served up with every meal for continuance, and Hester found her anticipations of delight in a country life somewhat dampened by the idea of the frowning ghost of the obnoxious lady being forever present. End of chapter 3 Recording by Ellie February 2010